the podcast where music meets sports. I'm Gannon Hannibal, and you're listening to What's the Score? What's the Score? What's going on, Blaze Radio listeners? I'm Gannon Hannibal, and you're listening to What's the Score? That's the podcast and radio show where music and sports collide. We are making our way through the Blaze Radio's director's board with our guests. Uh, We have two left, and one of them is here today. It is Productions Director Jordan Spurgeon. Jordan, how are you doing? Gannon, thanks for having me on, man. I'm doing great. Just, you know, I've been jamming out to some music and catching up on some editing today so can't complain too much i gotta say it's kind of wild we we serve on a director's board together and we spend probably multiple hours together every week in some capacity over zoom or however we we make things work and i've probably met you twice in person i think total i think we've met twice in person now once for a meeting and once just to hang out i think that's about it's super weird right now in 2020 well i know i know you're a transfer student here at the cronk high school you do sports journalism you've got the you've got the show the spurge that's on at uh 9 a.m's on is it tuesdays wednesdays 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 (laughs) at 9 a.m so uh, make sure uh, that's the day before what's the score. So that works perfectly. If you guys want to listen to what's the score on Thursdays, why not hit the Spurge on Wednesdays? Uh, tell me a little bit about your show. Yeah, my show, the Spurge, I uh, started it at community college two years ago and it just kind of started as a sports show talking mostly about football and basketball and I've kind of made it stay there. And now it's here at ASU. I was lucky enough to bring it on right when I transferred last semester, the former sports guy to gain. So it was amazing. It helped me get on the air right away. And uh, yeah, I just always focus. It's pretty NFL heavy right now being pre-recorded. It's hard to talk other sports. And now we've got the World Series wrapped up and the NBA's done. So it's pretty much an NFL heavy show. I just kind of break down all the games and give gambling advice now. That's kind of a new fold I've added because I think that's super fun. And I wish we could gamble more in Arizona, but we can't, unfortunately. <laughs> so that's fun. But yeah, that's sort of the gist of the show. I just kind of talk by myself for an hour and just you know try to keep it entertaining and keep different segments rolling so it's not just blabbing forever yeah i get that (laughs) well i come from a place where gambling is second nature and that's vegas i got my (laughs) i got my vegas pride um i I know you're a you're a california guy you mentioned community college a little bit uh tell me a little bit about everything that led to where you are now yeah it's it started in high school i uh I think I'm the typical sports journalism student, I guess, where it started in high school, played baseball four years, um, had a scholarship to a school out in Iowa, but I tore my UCL my senior year and I didn't know I tore it. It just hurt. So I would take like eight ibuprofens every game and just keep playing through it and uh, found out it was torn. So my family moved closer to the beach after my high school because I used to live about 45 minutes from the beach. And then we lived about five minutes from the beach. And so it came down to, do I want to go to Iowa in the cold weather um, and not play baseball this year and just recover? Or do I want to stay five minutes from the beach and just go to the community college? So did that. And uh, one of the first classes I took was a sports journalism class where we went out and did packages on high school football games. And I sort of just fell in love with it right then and there. It was something I always wanted to do growing up. At first, I used to be too shy. So it just kind of opened me up a little bit. And um, here I am three years later, still just kind of going about it and took care of everything at community college and now representing at ASU. 
There you go. Well, it's crazy to me that you say you you were too shy early on because you wouldn't be able to tell that at all now. Uh, you're you're a personable guy. You've got yourself in a director position. Uh, what would you what would your advice be to someone who feels like they're maybe a little bit introverted, but they're interested in the sports journalism field that's a little bit more extroverted? Yeah, it's it's definitely tough. I remember. I think it, I first thought of it in seventh grade. I had to do a project. And I couldn't be a professional baseball player in the project. So I was like, okay, I mean, talking sports sounds fun. And then high school, I was always shy. Um, and then senior year I, of high school, I kind of just met the right people. One game ended up having my school name was Mesa. I ended up having the S painted on my chest and just like was doing all the celebrations and stuff like that. And I guess, so go to, getting back to the advice, it would just be to just get used to talking and just talk to people. And when you live in your dorms and you're at the elevators, don't just awkwardly go to your phone. Every time you see someone like try to just, you know, have a quick conversation like, Hey, how you doing? How's the weather? You know, basic stuff like that, rather than just, you know, going back to, Oh, someone's here. Let me look at my phone and see what's going on on Twitter and just kind of ignore them. And I think that really helps kind of get you in a conversational mode. And it's just, just good practice in general. Well, I know you just kind of mentioned the, Hey, sometimes you'll see someone in the elevator, you'll kind of nervously get on your phone. And speaking of phones, we're in a field where you feel like you have to be on your phone pretty much 24-7. And I know that all too well as the promotions director. I'm always out on social (laughs) media and and doing things. And I know you make good use of social media. How how do you juggle the the duties as a journalist of, you know, being present on Twitter and Instagram or wherever it, it is and trying to be present in your everyday life? Biggest thing is scheduling stuff, trying to set aside time to schedule certain things. So for me, like with my shows, I I record them on camera. So I always cut up some clips and schedule them because I don't like just being on my phone all day. I used to be okay with it, but I've watched the social dilemma and I know you have too. (laughs) And that totally changed my my whole process of how to do it. So I just kind of set aside a couple times a day to go and do that. And then during games, that's kind of the one time, like during big sporting events, it's the one time I let myself scroll through social media so that I can kind of still be engaged and, you know, send my, at least I think funny stuff during games or informative stuff during games that I notice rather than just kind of getting lost in the trenches of social media. So I guess uh, to grow yourself in this business, just kind of focus on posting and less on uh, going through the depths of what's trending and all that stuff. Cause that can just lead to you forgetting to even post. Sometimes I've definitely done that before. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way. You mentioned I saw the social dilemma. I, that was uh, that was disturbing to see as a as a promotions director who has to you know use social media for a living. I see that and I'm like, oh man, what do I get myself into here? Because I watched that right probably what is it a month into my my job here at Blaze Radio, and so. Uh, no, it's definitely it's a tough thing to juggle for sure. I know you're the productions director though, so you got kind of a wide array of jobs. You're the the jack of all trades kind of man here at on the Blaze Radio Director Board. But something I've seen you do very well so far is the website is looking better than it's ever looked. Uh, tell tell me how that came together. Yeah, um, it, it's just something where I've kind of been thrust there. At my old school, I was the uh, sports editor for our newspaper and a community college and I ended up it was the same thing the website just was super old and outdated and I kept saying man this sucks and we still had a printed paper so that was cool um but no one really picks them up you'd go to replace them every couple weeks and you'd see their stack is still exactly the same so people are going to read your stuff online and so I noticed okay we need to fix the website so I sort of started messing with it there a little bit never really got around to completely changing it like I have with blaze but I kind of learned like what wordpress was like and uh, I remember when I was being hired, I just, I, I straight up said it in the interview, they asked what I thought was wrong with Blaze. And I said, well, the website is like the worst thing I've seen. Like it's, it's awful. 
And so I've just kind of been going step-by-step and learning things as I go. I'm not like a web expert at all. And I'm sure there's plenty of like glitches. Like I know the stream button that by the time this episode comes out, you'll be using a new stream button. I promise (laughs) by the time this episode is out, you'll be using a new stream button. But um, no, I just, I think learning everything you can, that's why we're here at school. I've taken that upon myself. Um, I'm not working right now too much outside of little small jobs like Uber and all that. So I just try to learn everything I can. And I think adding that to your resume is really cool. So, and it'll help set blaze up for the future, which is what I'm really doing it for. Cause now it'll be better for people after I graduate and all of that, which will be really awesome. Gotta love the selflessness. I'll say I appreciate it as someone who's younger in Blaze Radio. It'll be nice, uh, you know, in a year or two when I'm able to look at the website and say, hey, you know, Jordan Spurgeon's uh, footprints are still all over that thing. Uh, I Obviously, the website's looking nice. Production's director is looking great. Uh, you, you've got, you're off to a great start this year. But I know sports is at the core of everything. You said you played baseball. And this is a huge baseball week. We've got the World Series is now behind us. The Dodgers are champions for the first time since 88. Give me your baseball breakdown here. The World Series, what what were your initial thoughts? Yeah, as a fan, um, I'm not the hugest fan of the Dodgers, but looking at this team, I'm actually really happy for them. And it, it goes back to a few things. Everyone wants to say it's the payroll for the Dodgers. They bought a World Series. To me, that's wrong. They've tried to buy a World Series. That's why they haven't won one since 1988 going into this year. They hadn't won a World Series. They had a a, a time five, six years ago where they went and bought everybody. They had Adrian Gonzalez and Carl Crawford and Josh Beckett. They took on a bunch of bad contracts and it really set the team back because all those players aged out of those contracts really quickly. And so what I respect about the Dodgers and why they were able to beat the Rays and the Rays played phenomenally, by the way, we can talk about them later, but what I respect about the Dodgers is their farm system. They, they found ways to develop so many talented players. A guy like Max Muncy was an afterthought with the A's comes to the Dodgers to completely changes his swing. You have to give a lot of credit to the hitting coaches in the minor leagues becomes an all-star, not the biggest fan of Max Muncy, but he was an all-star player a couple of times. Uh, Bellinger an MVP uh, Justin Turner's a homegrown guy. Uh, Chris Taylor is a guy that turned his career around there, you know, obviously Clayton Kershaw and Walker Buehler. And then this year they go and trade for Mookie Betts. It's the one big splash they made that they didn't build in house. And I think that, that, that shows you just how good this team is. And so I'm glad they finally got over the hump. It's, it's always tough to see teams that just get so close, but always find a way to lose. And it's, it's cool to see them actually get over the hump now. It's interesting. I thought the storyline, if the Dodgers won a World Series, would be something like you said. It would be all about cash, right? It's all about how much money they spent on getting there. But instead, it's all about cash. It's Kevin Cash. <laughs> the, the the manager uh, for the Tampa Bay Rays made possibly one of the most controversial decisions in World Series recent memory. He uh, he decided to pull his ace uh, in after, after six innings. Tell me, as a baseball fan, when you're watching that come down, I know you're not a huge Dodgers guy. I'm pretty sure you're a Padres fan uh, you're watching that unfold are you frustrated are you, are you frustrated as a baseball fan yeah it's um the analytics can only take you so far it's the same thing in the NBA if I can do a cross sport reference here where a lot of teams live and die by the three but who are the teams that have won the last few years it's the guys that have the get a stop get a bucket guy Kawhi Leonard Kevin Durant LeBron James not three-point shooting um the, the best three-point shooting teams often falter it's the same thing in major league baseball where yes the analytics tell you if he goes through the third time in the order, he's probably not going to do as well. But the top three in the lineup were 0 for 6 with six strikeouts. He's only thrown 75 pitches. It's been an easy 75. He has not stressed at all. He's allowed two runners on base total. So for Kevin Cash to do that, it just shows you it was pre-planned. They knew he was going to get 
maximum six innings. And it, it just, I hope it creates a change where people realize, yes, analytics are important, but you can't be 100% analytics. Just like you can't be 100% old school baseball guy. You, everyone needs to throw nine innings. You just can't do that anymore. So I think it just shows you, you need a baseball person. And I'm not saying Kevin Cash isn't a baseball person, but he does seem more like a math person. And I think that can only take you so far. And that was the biggest issue, but it's really tricky, but just as a pure baseball fan, I I hated it because when you see a guy dominating like that, you you just want to see him go. You want to see him go the distance. There's nothing greater than a game six, you know, get to a game seven complete game shutout that I don't know if you would have thrown a complete game, but there's nothing greater than that. So as a baseball fan, it really uh, irked me a little bit to see that I did that because you, you hear the Dodgers players after the game, they were all happy Mm -hmm. because they knew they couldn't touch Blake Snell. They, as soon as that happened, it was, all right. And then boom, next thing you know, two runs just like that. Well, I, I, I'm in agreement with you as to it being pre-planned and that just shows off of precedent. I mean, Blake Snell, I don't think he's played more than six innings or since I think last season, I don't think all of 2020, he pitched more than six innings at all, which is a pretty crazy stat for an ace. And I, I know, as you said, it's a, it's an analytics driven league for some, for some people. Perhaps that's the Moneyball influence a little bit. Uh, I, I do love that movie, but I do think that sports is bigger than stats sometimes. And I, I see that in other sports as well, but I know baseball is a sport that's even more statistical than, than even some of your others. Yeah, I mean, that's what I tell people when, when some people getting into sports radio shows ask for advice. I tell them, don't just look at the box scores of games. That You're only going to learn so much from the numbers. You actually try to watch the games, watch the highlights, hear from the players on their hows and why something happened. Why did they miss that pitch? Why did they execute that pitch really well? Look at that stuff and you'll get a, a full picture. And I'm not going to say the Rays don't. I think what they've done is incredible to be able to get the World Series with the lowest payroll in baseball against a team like the Dodgers who do have a top five payroll in baseball right now. It's remarkable, but you can't, what gets you there isn't always going to be what wins it for you at the end of the day. You have to be able to adapt and the best teams do. And the Dodgers did the Rays didn't. And that was really the difference. Yeah. I I know baseball is a a sport that faces a lot of criticism because of the the lack of balance with salary payrolls. Uh, It's not like the NFL where you have a pretty even keel pay, uh, pay salary across the board. Um, the, there's there's no hard cap really in baseball, yeah. um, and so I think I think that does change a little bit. Um, it's not exactly a level playing field sometimes, so that makes it more incredible that the Rays were able to get there. They did give us one of the greatest World Series moments uh, probably in our lifetime oh, yeah. with that uh, that walk off in Game Four, and so. It was at least a fun series. However, it did end on kind of a weird note. You got the Justin Turner thing that happened. His positive COVID case comes in. Ken Rosenthal came out and said that he actually tested positive before the game even started. Uh, that's not a great look for the MLB. What? How, where do you think Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball go from here? Yeah, first off, last night, Rob Manfred, I don't know what happened to him. I don't know if the crowd got to him. I don't know if he was having a stroke. I, he just, when he was talking the second time, I was like, I think they need to get this man some medical attention. I don't know what's going on. Um, but for him, I, I think he needs to be glad that game six is uh, was the clincher. If the Rays mm-hmm. won that game, I, I, I think we might have November baseball right now if the Rays win game six because Justin Turner test positive. You got to get a second test to confirm it. But he had a test the day before that the results were – uh, invalid. So they weren't really sure. Um, then they find out in the second inning and they make the call and the Dodgers wait until I think the sixth or the eighth inning to take them out. So this is a mess for baseball, but I think they're just ready to have a sigh of relief. They did a terrible job at first. 
They did a great job in the middle of the season, getting to the playoffs, creating somewhat of a bubble, and it ended on somewhat of a downer note. Um, I'm not sure if all of his teammates understood that he tested positive. I know some did. I know Corey Seager mentioned he wasn't sure if they could pop champagne, but he was going to pop champagne anyways because he doesn't really care, um, which I respect at that point. I mean, you're all going to be quarantined together anyways at that point. If you get it, you get it. You probably already have it. Um, but it, it's not a good it's not a good look for baseball, but it was the most 2020 way to end a World Series for sure. It was 2020 punching us in the face, reminding us, yes, you got baseball, but I'm still here. COVID's <laughs> not gone. The election's coming up. Things, things are going to get real. So baseball was great, but th- there's more that's happening still. Yeah, it was uh, it was disturbing a little bit to see those scenes. You know, he he's out there taking the team picture without a mask. He's hugging his teammates. He's kissing his wife. And and I do understand the, the opposition to that, that, you know, at that point, how far has it already spread? You know what I mean? You have to probably think that a lot of his teammates are probably just accepting that risk at that point. They're just happy they won a World Series. But also... It seems a, a bit reckless, and, and based on the, the Ken Rosenthal report, he forced his way back onto the field. The, the MLB kind of told him, no, we want you to stay back, and he kind of, uh, he was adamant that he make it on the field for the celebration, and I think it's crazy that, I, I have to wonder how many layers of security did Justin Turner have to get through to get back on the field despite literally having COVID? I mean, that's yeah. that's insane. Yeah, he's a big man, and I'm sure he did something to- it's tough that they allowed that to happen though. I mean, any other time something happened, if there was a middle of the game and a player tested positive, both teams would have been quarantined immediately into their locker rooms and it, they would have been there for the next 24 hours. So it's very weird. I know it's the world series, so it makes it a little different and there's a lot of money at stake and a lot of things and emotions and all that, but yeah, it's just not a good look and it's not a good look for Turner. Um, obviously you feel bad for him. Cause I couldn't imagine winning a world series like justin turner has been there him and kershaw have been there the longest on that team they've been there for a long time now finally break through and in game six you find out you have COVID and you can't celebrate i would it would be tough to overcome that even though you need to look out for other people and that's one of those things where i think he might be struggling with that well as you said it's a fitting end to baseball season because it kind of brings everything full circle i remember when baseball first started uh, in early summer it was an absolute mess there was cancellations all the time uh, the marlins had to miss almost a week or two of of baseball because of, they had their own outbreak however they kind of laid the groundwork for the nfl to get started i think because the nba had their own thing they had the bubble the nhl had their bubble and the mlb said you know what? we're just going to play we're going to travel we're going to go to these stadiums we're going to play and uh, that was kind of a, a shock, I think, at the time to a lot of fans of sports because they were the only league really doing that. And the NFL eventually followed suit, and they've had a few hitches in the road so far, but they've been surviving for the most part. It's been a fun football season so far, and I know you talk about football quite a bit on The Spurge. You do your power rankings every week, which I see on Twitter, and I'll, I'll kind of ridicule in my head and sometimes uh, ridicule <laughs> yes. a little bit on Twitter as well. Tell me, right now, at this point in the season, we are, I think, seven weeks into the year. Who are your front runners for the for the big awards? Give me your MVP pick right now. Yeah, first off, thank you. I appreciate the criticism on those because I, I, I just love getting criticism on them. I think it's great because it's I love the debate of who the better teams are. I think there's so many good teams right now. Well, the, um, the, the, Spurge, the Spurge aired yesterday at, <laughs> at 9 a.m. What's, what's your top five right now? I guess, I guess we'll start with that. Yeah. Okay. If we want to stop there before the awards. So yeah, top yeah. five right now. I've got the list. Let me see if I got it in my head. Uh, number five, I have the Seattle Seahawks. Okay. At number four, I have the Baltimore Ravens. At number three, got the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're wow. going to play this week, so they could flip flop. 
At number two, I've got the Buccaneers. I think they're the best team in the NFC right now, defense, offense. And then at number one, it's the Kansas City Chiefs. We, they can win in all three aspects of the game right now. They have a loss to the Raiders. Not a good, not a good loss, but I think they needed to get punched in the mouth once. I, I think teams like that coming off a Super Bowl need that loss to know, hey, we need to get off to fast starts. So right now, those are my top five. And so if you look at that, it'd probably be Chiefs, Buccaneers in the Super Bowl, but there's still so much that could change till then. A couple, a couple shockers there that I feel I feel like I should comment on the Steelers. They are undefeated right now. And they're coming off of a huge win. They took down the Tennessee Titans, who were undefeated going into that game in a hard-fought battle. What puts the Steelers at three for you behind the the one-loss Chiefs and two-loss Buccaneers? Yeah, for me, I really like the roster. I think they're set at wide receiver. Chase Claypool's been amazing. Juju Smith-Schuster's had a down year, but still been clutch at times. Uh, Deontay Johnson's great. They're all young and explosive. James Conner's really good. I like the offensive line. The pass rush is the best part of the team by far. Secondary does a good job. So everything they do, I think they do it right. But I think Ben Roethlisberger is the limiting factor. I never thought I would say that with this team, but I think he's the limiting factor on this team. I think he's made some weird plays here and there. I still think he, that, not that he's not gripping the offense. Obviously he, he runs his offense. He knows the offense like the back of his hand. It's been the same for a while now. I just think, I, I don't know if I trust him in the biggest moments right now. I think he's one of those older quarterbacks that hasn't quite aged appropriately I, I don't think he's bad I just don't think he was what he was and he's not even close to what he was before so I have to wait and see on him now if they go and take it to the Ravens we're going to reevaluate things and they're probably the best team in the NFL because the roster right now is the best roster in football them and the Ravens have the best two rosters in my opinion top to bottom so I just need to wait and see can Ben Roethlisberger do it and he did it against the Tennessee Titans I think the defense did a lot but he did it as well but they let the Titans back into that game I was impressed by what I saw with Tennessee there um so it's interesting, but the Steelers, I just have to wait and see with Ben Roethlisberger. He's the question mark still for me. Well, the other thing that jumps out to me in that, in that top five is you've got Seattle at five, and notably Arizona is not above them. Uh, the Cardinals are coming off of a big win against the Seahawks. Granted, it was uh, a lucky win, perhaps you could say. They kind of <laughs> caught a few breaks there in overtime. However, they're five and two. They're riding a win streak. They've got Kyler Murray, who's on track to be potentially the first 4,000-yard passer and 1,000-yard rusher in NFL history if he can keep moving at this pace. Uh, Why are the Cardinals below the Seahawks for you right now? I'm all in on the Cardinals. And before the season, I picked them to be a playoff team. And I still think even in the NFC West, they have a legit chance to make it to the playoffs this year. Um, For me, despite beating them in overtime, I just, I didn't like what I saw down the stretch. And I know it ended up working out for them because Russell Wilson just had a really bad game. Um, which isn't going to happen very often. But I I feel like the Cardinals are still just a little bit sporadic on offense with some of the way they manage the ball. I I think Kyler Murray is getting better each week, and he's going to be one of the top five or six quarterbacks in the NFL by the end of the year. I think he's that good. Um, I just – I'm not sold on how young this team is yet. I'm just not quite sold on them being able to beat a team like Seattle consistently. And it's important to note too, Seattle has the worst pass defense in football right now. So everyone's lighting up the Seahawks. Eventually they're going to find a way to lose. You can't just have Russell Wilson pulling off miracles every single game. He's human. He's going to have a three interception game every once in a while, especially when his defense isn't able to stop anybody. So the Cardinals are playing really well right now and they're going to keep climbing the board. I think, especially when they play teams outside the NFC West. Um, But I still think right now because of how Russell Wilson is playing, I still think the Seahawks are slightly better than the Cardinals, but it's a close race. 
I think, uh, like you said, Russell Wilson, he, he's due to have a bad game. He was off to such a ridiculous start to this year, or, or rusticulous, I guess, as they call it. Uh, he, Mr. Unlimited. Yeah, Mr. Unlimited, perhaps one of the most cringy videos I've, I've ever seen. However, uh, he has been pretty unlimited in his ability to win close games this year. He broke the hearts of, of me and my fellow Vikings fans out there. He's done it to the Patriots. He's, he's pulled out some really narrow victories this year did not have the magic in Arizona I know he was an MVP front runner uh, just a few weeks ago perhaps he's fallen from grace a little bit and that's how we can bring a full circle here to the awards pick so who is your who is your MVP pick right now right now I'm still rolling with Russell Wilson Kyler Murray's a close second for me I don't really know who else I have in that top three I haven't put too much thought into I'm going to next week for our midseason awards so definitely stay tuned for that on the Spurge promo there gotta love the Uh, promo gotta have the quick plug but um right now i still think it's russell wilson's award to lose one bad game in an mvp season is okay now if he does if he has another performance like this it's gonna hurt him um but josh allen's fallen off completely he's not on that list mahomes has a chance to creep back into that list because he he gets sort of the lebron treatment right now where he's so good that people aren't going to vote for him for mvp they're going to go for the better storyline and He's never going to repeat that 55 touchdown performance, 5,000 yards. I mean, eventually he might, but it's not going to happen this year. Um, so right now, I, th- I still think it's Russell Wilson. I think what he's doing in Seattle, they shouldn't even be a playoff team, in my opinion. The roster's not good enough to be a playoff team. But Russell Wilson's so good that he's going to carry them to a division win, more than likely, unless they really blow it. Um, so that's why I think he deserves to win MVP. And he's never won a vote. So he has that going for him because, like I said, they love storylines. It's a perfect fit for Russell Wilson this year. Well, Russell Wilson could also be, I think, kind of a victim to that LeBron James treatment that you brought up with Patrick Mahomes, where we've become so numb to them being so talented and so consistently valuable that I think at some point you forget how good they are. And uh, I think Russell Wilson's getting close to that category right now because we're getting so used to his heroics that it almost feels like it's not even abnormal anymore. And I think that's something to consider. And in terms of storylines, here's my storyline for you. And it wouldn't surprise me if this storyline continues and becomes something that we really look at down the stretch. And that's Tom Brady. And I know that's something absolutely crazy to think about, that this guy, well into his 40s now, on a completely new roster, granted he's got some of the best weapons in football, he tosses 369 passing yards and four touchdowns in Vegas last week. And he is willing the Buccaneers to potentially the top of the NFC if they can keep this momentum rolling. Do you think Brady could find himself in the MVP conversation despite being 43 years old? I think it's possible. If he gets somewhere close to 40 touchdown passes and close to over 4,000 yards, I think it's possible. Now now they're going to say, especially if the Antonio Brown thing works out, that he has three number one receivers and a tight end that's a Hall of Famer and everything around him in a great defense. Um, but you look at what he's done just the last two weeks, and it's remarkable. I, I always knew there was something left in the tank for Brady, but what happens when, when quarterbacks and other athletes age is they, they can't do it on a week-in, week-out basis. They can still have moments of greatness, but they can't do it weekly. We've now seen him do it two weeks in a row, and if he continues to do that week in, week out, and he just continues to get better, and that passer rating increases. He's the third highest passer rating in football right now behind Wilson and Rodgers. No one would have guessed that heading into the season except for – I think the only person I thought maybe predicted that that I saw was Maurice Jones-Drew said he was going to be better than 2007, which is just ridiculous because it's not going to happen. Um, but 
you got to give it to Brady. He's not eating tomatoes and the smoothies are working and bringing his trainer everywhere and kissing his son and whatever he's doing. I mean, that's, that's what I think we all want to do because he's living a long, healthy life and uh, it's helping him on the football field big time. I think it would be one of the craziest stories, not even in football, but in sports. If the oldest player in the league goes on to have an MVP caliber season with a completely new team and not to mention, Tampa Bay is hosting the Super Bowl this year. If he could somehow will Tampa Bay to a Super Bowl at Raymond James Stadium, I think that would be one of the craziest things ever, and it solidifies his status as definitely the greatest football player of all time. But at that point, he enters the conversation of greatest athlete of all time. Yeah, he's there right now with Michael Jordan as far as his greatest athlete. If he does that, because it, it takes people so long to get acclimated to new systems. Even last year, Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur, it's a new pairing, new head coach with his aging quarterback. They were they went 13-3, and three, but there was a lot of clunkiness during the year. The Buccaneers are a completely new team, and it, it hasn't been seamless, but those first three games were basically a preseason for them. They didn't have training camps. They didn't have OTAs. Um, Brady had a lot of, I guess, illegal workouts in Tampa Bay on the, on the high school <laughs> field where they were bringing in the helicopter to see, but – that's just who he is. I, you can't knock him for it. Hopefully he didn't get anybody else sick. That would be really bad during all that time. But from what I've heard, he never got anybody else sick. So that's, that's the good thing. Uh, even if it was a little reckless, but he's just a different cat. And I think that's, that's the greatest storyline. If he's able to do it when teams or when quarterbacks or players switch teams that late in their career to just be able to go and change the entire culture immediately. And then by seven weeks, everyone starts saying, wow, they might be the best team in the NFC seven weeks in. People are already saying this team is the best team in the NFC right now. It's not close. The Packers got smoked by them. The Saints aren't the same team that beat the Buccaneers in week one. They look really different right now. That interesting matchup in week nine. So it, the story is remarkable right now with Tom Brady. I think it kind of reminds me of the the year that I got into football. It was when the Vikings acquired Brett Favre. That was like yeah. the first year I remember watching, and I remember thinking, okay, Brett Favre coming off of one of his worst seasons, which is what Tom Brady had last year, despite having a good regular season, he he did choke in the playoffs, and it wasn't his best statistical year. And he comes into a new uh, onto a new team with great weapons. I remember that 2009 Vikings team; they had they had options to throw to for days, and he had a huge running back to lean on. And I think that's kind of what this reminds me of is it almost feels like a, a team of destiny of sorts. They've surrounded the, the right guy, the right leader with the right weapons. And I was a huge skeptic of the Buccaneers going into this year, but I think you got to give a lot of credit and arguably even the most credit to Bruce Arians. I think he's done a great job coaching this team. And obviously he's one of the greatest offensive minds in football, but he's, uh, he's proven to be a, a good leader as well because to bring this group of guys together, and if, especially if they're able to bring in Antonio Brown and have him join the fold seamlessly – that would be one of the biggest feats I've ever seen uh, in football to, to pull this group of guys together like that. Yeah, if he does that and Antonio Brown works out for them and he doesn't cause problems, he doesn't start missing meetings, he doesn't start acting you know crazy on the sidelines. Bruce Arians has to win coach of the year, especially if they win 12, 13 games, win that division. Um, he deserves a lot of credit. His, his coaching style is uh, completely opposite of Bill Belichick's. And I think Brady is embracing it, but at the same time, we've seen, we've seen a couple frustrations with them. We saw it against the Bears. Um, I think they had like eight or nine penalties in that game. That doesn't happen in New England. And Brady is realizing, okay, I have to get used to that. Um, we're seeing him in a new offense where he's not as efficient. And I think it's it, it bothered him a little bit at first to realize, like, I'm not going to be as efficient. I'm not going to be 75%. I'm going to be closer to 62, 63 with a lot more big plays. Um, but now they're sort of mixing and matching. And so the fact that it's working is remarkable. And 
real quick, that 2009 Vikings team, I remember wanting them to win so bad. I loved Brett Favre growing up, him and my dad. My dad grew up a Vikings fan, so, like, that year was just, like, incredible. I was so heartbroken when the Saints beat them. That was a crazy year. Um, He was so good that year. That was easily Brett Favre's best year, and he was, what, 41? He was the first one to just sort of defy age. And the next year, well, yeah, they lose the stadium, and he – just yeah it just didn't work out it just couldn't repeat that but that year was so incredible with Brett Favre and the Vikings yeah, it was such a heartbreaking finish man I still have I still have some bad blood uh, a little bit of ill will towards uh Greg Williams and Sean Payton and, and everything that they did to pay the players against against uh Brett Favre and the Vikings that one I, I have a little bit of bitterness but also the Saints I think uh have a are, are kind of the they get to look up to the Vikings now because we've got the Minneapolis miracle to hang over their heads. And we also have last year's Kirk Cousins, uh, ridiculous rabbit out of a hat performance, uh, down there in New Orleans too. So I think the saints and Vikings were kind of even, however, it still hurts a little bit that they got to win the Super Bowl that year. Um, you talked about Tom Brady being one of the, one of the greatest, probably the greatest football player of all time. And one of the greatest athletes of all time and everything he's doing in his career, However, we also talk music here on What's the Score, yes. and I asked you about your greatest artists, that you, the guys that you think are, are wonderful, and I like the names on this list that you sent me, and then we'll just we'll go right through it. The first one that jumps out to me, Chance the Rapper. I love Chance. We love talking rap music on this show. We've talked Mac Miller. We've talked Kendrick Lamar. We've talked Drake. Chance is a guy that I haven't got a chance to get into quite a bit yet. Tell me, where did your uh, fandom for Chance the Rapper begin? Yeah, it started with Acid Rap when that album came out. I remember just playing it all the time. I was on the bus to school with friends and we'd be playing it in the back and just having a good time. And um, I just, it was, it, to me, it was so different the way he rapped. It just, it always felt different at first. And I, I just really started liking it. And I've really liked everything he's put out since. I know it's it's a little bit uh, less hardcore than Acid Rap maybe, but um, it's... I've just always really enjoyed Chance the Rapper. He just he's just different than most rap that I grew up with. Well, he's proven he has a, a wide array of talents because he can sing and he's a rapper and he's got quite a unique voice. He's got one of those voices where if you hear him on any song, you'd be able to say instantly two words into his rap. That's Chance because of the way that he's able to. Yeah. <laughs> ah? He's he's got the he's got the ad lib. That's that's kind of his uh, his signature move, but. Yeah. He got a lot of a lot of hate, a lot of criticism because of this last album, The Big Day, that came out last year. It had so much hype. It came out. It was very long. It had like 24 songs on it. A lot of it is about how much he loved his wife and how happy he is with his life and spending time with his daughter. And it's a lot about family values. And it got a little bit redundant at times. What were your thoughts on that album? Because I know it faced quite a bit of scrutiny. Yeah, I, I understand a lot of the scrutiny because it was just so much different. Um, but it's an album that I, I put on occasionally and it just it just puts me in such a good mood. It's one of those where I, I don't really know what I want to listen to. I'm in a good mood. You know, maybe I just had a great FaceTime call with my girlfriend or whatever. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I, I understand the flat cause it is, it's different than what he's put out, but I actually really enjoyed it. I am all for like artists putting out music that is totally like not their base. I think that's so incredible because it's just showing you how talented they are. Cause there's nothing worse than the rappers that, you know, Justin Bernarda is on Twitter or on Instagram can just instantly sound like them all the time. Cause that's how they sound every, every day, all the time. It's exactly what they rap about. Exactly what they're saying about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, by the way, people, Justin Bernardes, look him up on, on Instagram, funniest guy ever out there. Um, he impersonates all the rappers, but yeah, I actually really enjoy that album. I still listen to it 
pretty decent amount. How about you? Oh, I, there's, there's a few songs out on there that uh, have, you know, really stuck with me for sure. However, I think, I think by and large that album, uh, here, I'll, I'll take a chance to plug my own show, Replay Value. It doesn't have a lot of that for me. Uh, it, it hasn't lived in my playlist very long. I think, I think there's 24 songs on that album, and I would say there's probably five or six that I still listen to frequently. Uh, I know he collaborated with Death Cab for Cutie on a song on there called Do You Remember that is one of my favorite just nostalgic songs. I think it's uh, the the piano melody on that is awesome. The chorus is awesome. He's got a verse, uh, a line in, in the second verse of that song where he says, uh, I used to worry about the 27 Club and now I want to make it to the 27D Club. And mm-hmm. I, it's such a simple line, but for some reason I always loved it. Uh, and there's a, there's a few there's a few, a few songs on that album that I think are are very good and get overlooked because of how the rest of the album was perceived. And then Hot Shower was the dance craze for a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> I remember some of my 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 I used to do these uh, sing-alongs in my car. I would kind of offbeat rap everything or sing everything while I was driving with like my phone up on the dash, and uh, that was a song I would always do the, the dances to. <laughs> Just I think, for fun. I think ironically. Uh, I liked that song, and then at some point, I un- unironically liked that song. Like it's just one of those songs where, if you if you're listening to it, it's almost impossible to not dance. Like it's just the way it's so bouncy yeah. and it, it's it's catchy as hell. And that's a that's that's definitely a a song that'll stick with you more than once, even if you like it or not. Yeah, well, no, I yeah. <laughs> We'll look at the rest of this list, though, because we're about to go a completely new direction. We start with Chance, who's got rap music for all sorts of genres. He's got some fun rap, some really uh, really uh, religious rap, and then he's got some rap music that really is pointed at his wife and his family life, that kind of thing, some more wholesome stuff. And now we're going a totally new direction, and we're going away from rap into rock. And this is something my dad will appreciate, because this is his favorite artist of all time, and that's Tom Petty. Yes, Tom Petty is amazing. I, that was the first artist I fell in love with as a kid. Always loved listening to his music. I would uh, always be singing Free Fallen. That was always a song that was like the first song I ever knew, like word for word as a kid, like five, six years old. Always sung it. it my dad had all of his vinyls. So I was always, we were always playing it in the garage, like working on stuff or whatever. So Tom Petty to me um, was just one of like my favorite artists. I just, it's hard to like really hone in on like what it is I love about him. I just, the way his music comes out to me just is so nostalgic for me. That's why he's still on my list to this day. And I still don't listen to him all the time, but it's on many of my playlists and it it definitely gets me in my feels sometimes. Oh yeah. It's plenty nostalgic for me as well. Like I said, Tom Petty's my, my dad's favorite artist of all time. And it just, uh, yeah, there we go. Shout out to my dad. I'm sure he's, he's listening somehow. If he's not, my mom will screen record this and show it to him or something. Uh, I think it's, his music was always on in the car. If I was with my parents or at all. And now there's, there's a Tom Petty radio station on Sirius XM that even to this day, I think anytime I get in the car with my dad, that's going to be on for sure. Uh, it's just, he, he's got such a, a very deep discography where it's like, over the course of really probably two decades, he was consistently putting out songs that made it to the radio that even if you're not a Tom Petty fan, you know. And it's just crazy. Like, I don't think as a child I ever really like sat down and was like, oh, I'm going to listen to Tom Petty. But then I look back and I recently got his greatest hits on vinyl and I'm looking at the track list and there's like 25 songs on there and I don't have a single one, word for word. And it's just because of how often it was played for me as a kid and how often his stuff is on the radio and in movies and all that. And so I think his presence as a cultural icon is is definitely established. 
Yeah, and it's it's definitely like you said, it's more hidden. I don't think people realize like you say, oh, you like Tom Petty? They're like, who? And then once you start playing them some songs, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I know Tom Petty. So like he he was just one of those that always put out great music that um, maybe wasn't the most famous, but it's all music that everybody knows, and even people in our generation know the music. Um, for the most part. So yeah, Tom Petty is like, you can never go wrong listening to pretty much any of his albums. Do you have a favorite song of his? For me, it's probably Running Down a Dream. Okay. I think that was one of the first songs that like, I've always been a dreamer and uh, it kind of sticks with me. Just all the lyrics just, you know, stick with me. My Mine would probably be Mary Jane's Last Dance. Uh, song. I don't even know if it's lyrically. I don't think I, I can even say that. But I would say it's it's more so just because of the, the nostalgia of that melody to me. And I think it's such a catchy and addicting song that isn't catchy in a way that it's like it, it ruins the rest of your day. But it's catchy in a way that it, it's, it captures a cool moment for you. And I think that's what I like about that song and a lot of his, a lot of his music. Yeah, not catchy enough either for uh, TikTok to get a hold of it either. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, that's all, that's always a bl- if TikTok gets if TikTok gets a hold of Tom Petty, man, then then we are in trouble. Uh, I know he he passed away a few years ago, and that was a pretty huge moment for my dad, who's a huge Tom Petty fan. It happened the same year that Chester Bennington, the lead singer of Linkin Park, passed away, and that's my favorite band of all time. So I got to kind of empathize with that. I think that's kind of a where were you win moment. Do you, do you remember? Well, finding out how, that Tom Petty had passed. Um, I I think I was just sitting around on my couch, um, and I saw it on Twitter, and I just called my dad, and I was like, "Oh, did you hear the news?" He goes, "What?" And I'm like, "Yeah, Tom Petty passed." He's like, "No way!" And we were just talking about it. We just started listing off like some of our songs, and then like I think the next three or four phone calls we had, we both were just talking about like, "Oh yeah, I forgot about this album. I forgot about this album," and it just kind of. I heard about it. And I was like, Oh man, that sucks. I wasn't like heartbroken, but like, I was like, okay, that sucks. And it just kind of like got me back into his music. I think that's what happens with me a lot. I think sometimes like I get down and then, okay, I'm going to listen back to like some of the best things and kind of find music that I forgot about. So that was, that was really my Tom Petty, like death experience, I guess. I think, I think that's what often happens when, when artists pass is their popularity sees a, a quick spike for sure. I, I know like I didn't get into Mac Miller really till after he passed, uh, I know it was kind of the same thing for me when uh, XXXTentacion died in uh, 2018. I think it's kind of a, a pretty common trend that once someone of that level of fame passes away, you have to kind of take a moment to like look back and realize, oh, wow, this person really was a big part of my life. Or this song really is a song I really appreciated, but it's never took a time to stop and think about the artists that went into making it and all of the the times I listened to it. I think it's it's yeah. kind of an interesting experience because it's 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 sad, but yet in a way it's almost peaceful to realize that like wow, this person made this big of an impact on me without me even like really being able to grasp it. Yeah. No, it's um you know, it, it sums up somebody perfectly too. I think, you know, there's a lot that we take in that we don't even realize and when someone's gone you realize it's i guess that's life advice there just try to appreciate people while they're here um but you're definitely gonna appreciate them when they're gone so yeah another artist that's a total uh i guess it's it's a it's sideways dive here it's it's rock and roll at least um it is it is classic rock which is what you would call um tom petty for sure but it's a little bit harder um and that's acdc and uh acdc is fun that's the best way you could probably describe them 
However, uh, you know, we, we, we lost Tom Petty and then um, ACDC had their own kind of passing and a little bit of change in there in the middle of their years. It was after uh, Bon Scott passed and then they moved into the Brian Johnson era a little bit. Do you, do you have a, a favorite era of ACDC? Because they, they kind of got all over the place, but they were always kind of there. Yeah, I don't really have a favorite era. I, I think, yeah, they've definitely put out a few stinkers over the years, um, but most of their iconic music is still just so amazing that it's all on my workout playlists. Like mm-hmm. I, I work out to ACDC and, and all kinds of other hard music as well, just because it, it just gets me going and helps me lift extra weights. But no, I don't really have a favorite era. Um, all their old stuff is great. Um, I even like some of the new albums. I heard their new song, Shot in the Dark. They have a new album coming out November 13th, I think. Um, could be really interesting. Shot in the Dark sounded pretty good. So I, I liked where they're going. It's amazing. They're still putting out music all these years later. They've been around since the seventies. So, um, no, for me, I don't really have a favorite era, but, um, can't be anything that's been in all the movies back in black, thunderstruck, any like classic action movies got those songs in there, or at least thunderstruck started the MCU with iron man thunderstruck. So got that going for him, but yeah. <laughs> and we're going to, we're going to take another, transition because we've got uh, a little bit of time left here and you've got two more artists that you mentioned one of them i'm a little bit more familiar with than the other so we'll start there and that's blink 182 i i'm a definitely a blink 182 fan i i'm glad to hear that you are as well do you have a favorite song of theirs that jumps out to you uh not really a favorite song but my favorite album is definitely state of the enema i mean my birth year 1999 um you get all the small things going away to college that's just a great album the whole Everything about it is just amazing. So Blink-182, you know, San Diego, got to represent San Diego. Um, we did a thing in my my uh, 474 class where we all picked an artist and had to be a different artist to build like a Spotify playlist. So I put them on there and it was going to be like our virtual, like if we could have a virtual um, festival, what would it be? By the way, I loved everyone's music taste. It was awesome. All 30 of us. It was, it, I, that Spotify playlist was great. Um, but yeah, Blink-182, I just, you can't go wrong with them. They're, everything they put out to me is just solid what what class is this you got to make a a a dream festival playlist as an assignment yeah jmc 474 ali forbes teaches it and uh, we always do like uh theme days once a week and uh simon williams got to pick a theme day and he said okay let's all pick our favorite artist no one can pick the same artist and we'll put together a festival and we made a spotify playlist out of it it was it was amazing i was gonna put slipknot just because like (laughs) <laughs> that was a concert I was supposed to go to before COVID. And like, I'm not even into that music like that, but I have a friend group that is, but just like, I've just heard like just the ragers and being in the mosh pit would be amazing. So like in person, that's something I would love to go see. Um, but yeah, that, that class was awesome. So if you take that with Allie Forbes, if she's still teaching it, like you'll get to do stuff like that. <laughs> I think the, uh, the only mosh pit I've been able to be a part of was I went to a ski mask, the slump God concert last year. <laughs> And let me say, that was one of the most bizarre, violent, just absolutely unforgettable experiences in my <laughs> life. Something that I don't even know was safe pre-COVID. It just it seemed <laughs> it seemed absolutely reckless. There's people crashing into one another. I was like dripping with sweat at the end. Uh, I think when the first song started, I was with like five or six friends, and by the end of the show, I was by myself. Like it was just <laughs> it was crazy how you got pushed around in there. And uh, he had. He had two video screens in the back where uh, they were just showing a, a constant loop of gory scenes from movies, just like guys getting decapitated and oh, disemboweled. And it was just like, it was, it was awful, but like yeah. somehow fun because you're with all these people that you're friends with and just like 
going crazy to music. I'm, I'm sure that would be kind of how a Slipknot concert is, but instead of rap, oh, yeah. heavy metal. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that's what it would be. All my friends say they do it. They're always sore after for days. And yep. they just said it was like the greatest thing ever. And yeah, I'm not even like into like that genre of music too much, but um, that just sounds fun. And I, I can mess with Slipknot. Slipknot's like the boundary for me, I think. Beyond that, maybe not so much. <laughs> do you have a favorite concert you've ever been to? Uh, favorite concert that actually leads me into uh, my final artist there, Dodger. Look at that. That was perfect. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't even plan that. <laughs> didn't even plan it. Things just work out like that. It's awesome. Um, yeah, I uh, honestly in high school never really got the chance to go to many. Um, just the Balloon and Wine Festival in Temecula because my baseball team would work as the cleanup crew. So like half the time I would just take my cleanup shirt off and just go enjoy it. And then when it closes, I'd help clean up the trash and all that. But during it, I wasn't cleaning up trash. I was just enjoying the music, of course. I'm not going to tr- clean trash during the event. What the heck? <laughs> and um, yeah, high school thoughts. But um, yeah, no, Daughtry last year, I, I worked for a radio station and uh, at the sports station there, but we always had like music tickets and stuff like that. And uh, my boss, I helped him out with a Facebook live show. And he's like, hey, you want to go see Daughtry tonight on the Midway? I'm like, all right, sure. Like, I got no plans. So he gave me like six tickets and I put them on Snapchat. No one wanted them. I was on Bumble. Um, so I just found a random person on Bumble I matched with. And I'm like, hey, I haven't even talked to you yet, but um, I got concert tickets tonight. You want to go? She's like, all right. So went, enjoyed the Daughtry concert on the USS Midway, which was super awesome. He's really great in concert. I honestly wasn't even the biggest fan before. Um, or I was growing up, but I kind of forgot about him for a good solid eight years. And uh, yeah, he was putting out new music and it was awesome. And then, yeah, me and that girl never talked again after that. I don't think I think she just used <laughs> me for a free concert ticket, but it was cool. You got to take some risks and, and try to meet new people and, and have fun for sure. Uh, Daughtry's a guy I'm not super familiar with. I know, I know his hits. I think everyone knows his hits, yeah. but I don't know much about Daughtry beyond his songs that were on the radio. So tell me, what should people know about Daughtry that that's not just, oh, that's the bald guy that made hits in the 2000s? Yeah, I mean, that's basically what he is, but um, there's more to him. He, he has um, some new music he's put out the last few years. One song, uh, White Flag, um, he put out last year is really amazing. And it just kind of really sums up today's times a little bit and how sometimes you might need you know, to put up the white flag instead of constantly arguing and hating the other side of things. Um, to put it that way. I don't want to get too much into stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but no, he's just, a, he's a performer. Definitely. Like his music is really good, but if you see him in person, he's, he's better. He's funny. He kept saying, you know, Oh, I got to play this song. I know nobody knows this song. We'll get to the hits later. I got to play this one though. You guys got to bear with me. Like just roasting himself. And uh, no, he's just, he's a really good performer. There's a reason why I think it was, season five of American Idol he was on uh, I think he was a finalist on um that sort of launched him so I guess that's you know another reason to get into Daughtry is one of the you know famous American Idol alums that actually made it and didn't burn out because he's still putting stuff out today so yeah that's really it I mean the hits are always a go-to but he's got a lot of other um hidden gems I think and White Flag from his new album I forget the name of his new album I think it's Battleships um really really good it's it's a great album I love when artists are able to have kind of like a, a self-awareness a bit about their, their reputation. I think that's always fun um, when people are kind of aware of, of their status within the music industry, whether they're a one-hit wonder or a meme or like I think even Nickelback has like come out on yeah. Twitter sometimes and kind of roasted themselves a little bit and been able to take a joke and have fun with it. And I think that's that, that shows a lot of character and that honestly makes me respect an artist quite a bit more. It makes me want to get into their music a little bit. So that's kind of cool to hear that he did that at his shows. 
yeah no it's uh he's the kind of music too if you haven't listened to Daughtry too much um just when you're driving around if you're gonna go on like an hour drive somewhere just by yourself and uh, you feel like you're cruising whether it's you're going through a breakup or you're feeling good you can kind of you'll get a mix of both emotions there um and uh yeah no the self-awareness though is definitely great i mean nothing greater than uh what's the artist's name he dropped a uh, opa gangnam style and then just dip like that's <laughs> like i respect artists like that like they just drop like one hit and then he, they go back to wherever they came from and they just living off whatever they made off that and that's it like i respect stuff like that too <laughs> hey well we will accept zero sigh hate here on a. oh no i, I hate great. <laughs> I saying, that's why i think it's amazing that's, <laughs> sigh, right. that's right if anyone ever actually i'm glad you said you were on board if anyone were to come up on here and say hey no uh, i'm anti-side the guy who did gangnam style i would have to uh I would have to kick them off the show. They would never come back on What's the Score again. It's it's a very we we have a strict pro Gangnam style policy here on What's the Score. Uh, we're getting about ready to wrap up the show. Before we uh, get out of here, Jordan, I know you've got the Spurge on every Wednesday. Uh, here's your elevator pitch right now. Someone's listening. They've never heard the Spurge before. Go. All right, you've never heard the Spurge before. First off, you're gonna hear me roast myself at least three or four times throughout the show. I'm going to stumble at something. I'm going to roast myself. I don't edit that out. I know it's pre-recorded, but I'm not going to edit that out. So you'll laugh a little bit. Um, if you missed everything from the w- weekend of NFL games, you'll tune in. I play a three-word game. I describe each game in just three words. Kind of a rip of Colin Coward, but I make it my own. So you can kind of get the gist of everything. Uh, you get my power rankings. And like Gannon, you can kind of uh, make fun of them or disagree with them in your head or come at me on Twitter. That's always fun. Um, but yeah, no, if you want everything, it's just NFL right now. I don't get too much into speculation. I don't really care about speculation a whole lot. Every once in a while, you know, it's fun to dig into that. But no, I just break down everything and uh, give you my thoughts. And you can take with those thoughts what you want. Yeah. Well, I, I'll, I'll be tuning in to the Spurge next week. I know you can go follow uh, you on Twitter. I think you're just, is it the Spurge on Twitter as well? It's uh, just at Spurge underscore. Yeah. There we go. So follow follow Jordan on Twitter. Check out everything he's got going on. I know he's crushing it as a productions director and as a sports journalist. And so we're happy you were able to come on the show today. And uh, I'm sure we'll have you back on again, maybe next semester or something like that. Awesome. What's the score? Ah, there you go. Got to end it on a question. This has been What's the Score? That's the podcast and radio show where music and sports collide. Make sure to tune back in next Thursday at 4.30 when we'll have a brand new guest. Maybe it'll be Ethan Jordan, the last director. Uh, I can collect the final Blaze Radio Board of Directors Infinity Stone next week. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, But I'm happy we got a chance to have Jordan Spurgeon here today. We'll see you again next Thursday on Blaze Radio at blazeradioonline.com.